A reading from the Gospel according to John, the first chapter beginning with the 29th verse. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is He of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, He said to them, What are you looking for? They said to Him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where He was staying, and they remained with Him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who had heard John speak and followed Him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of Jonah. John, you are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> Last week we talked about Jesus coming to be baptized by John. And we talked about some of the reasons people have said He did that. Jesus said it was necessary to fulfill all righteousness. And I guess in some ways that could be good enough, but I gave you my theory that it's Jesus' way of coming and getting in the muck with us and being part of us and being part of our problems and part of our predicament to show us that He's with us all the way. Well, John has a different perspective. John is baptizing solely for the purpose that Jesus might be revealed, he says. Here's the reason I came baptizing, so that he could be revealed. John's gospel doesn't tell us that John the Baptist actually baptized Jesus. We get that from the other gospels. But we do see the aftermath of it, for John tells us that he saw the Spirit of God descend on Jesus, and he remembered God's Word to, to himself, that the one that he saw the dove the Holy Spirit descend on would be the anointed, would be the one who baptized with the Holy Spirit. And John says, I testify to this. This one is the Son of God. But John's testimony doesn't end there. He says something kind of cryptic also. He says, He's the Lamb of God. But not just, here's one who is the Lamb of God, but he uses this wonderful word, Behold! Behold! Now, if you say to your friends, behold, they want to see something exciting, don't they? 
You're not going to say, behold, the washer that goes in the hose pipe. (laughs) You're going to say, behold, the mud puddle that ate my truck. Right, Shane? Something like that. You're going to look at something amazing, something that doesn't make sense, something that might even seem too big to be true. And I think maybe the language is supposed to be a little cryptic, but, you know, the church is used to hearing the words Lamb of God now, right? We sing the song, Lamb of God, O Holy Lamb of God, I love the Holy Lamb of God. That song, I'm probably getting the words wrong, but we don't sing it very often. But we've heard that. We've heard that Jesus is the Lamb of God somehow in preaching or in our our concepts about Christ, and maybe we've never really thought about the oddity of that. How many people want to be signed up to be called a Lamb? It communicates meekness, maybe. Maybe John's pointing to some kind of strength that I'm not thinking of, but as I started thinking about what in the world could John mean when he says the Lamb of God, what if I took off my understandings? What if I just stopped thinking I know what that means and let the Scriptures speak to me about what it might mean? What stories are there in the Old Testament that John, a prophet of God, might be pointing to when he says that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Does he mean that he's a Lamb that belongs to God? Does he mean that he's a Lamb that God offers? What is he trying to say to us? And how is it that that Lamb would take away the sins of the world? Coincidentally, I want to go ahead and point out that if He takes away the sin of the world, it means He takes away our sin, your sin and my sin also, right? We can't exclude ourselves from that. There are stories in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, the first two-thirds of the Bible, that I think John is intending for us to think about. And I think the very first one is the story of Abraham and Isaac. Abram was promised that if he would follow after God, then God would transform him into a people beyond number. That He would cause him to be a blessing to many nations. And out of that, Abram was confused because Abram didn't even have one child, much less child's children numbering like the stars. And so God promised Abram a child and changed his name to Abraham to say that he would be the father of many nations. And Abraham went home and told his wife, good news, we're going to have a kid. And she laughed because she was 90. But it turned out that they did. And then all of a sudden, the Bible tells us that God decided to test Abraham's faith. And He told Abraham, take Isaac, your son, your only son. Go to the mountain at Moriah and sacrifice him to me as a burnt offering. Can't imagine what must have gone through Abraham's mind. What? Kill my child? But off he goes. And when he gets there and he can see the mountain in the distance, he tells his servants to wait here. And he puts the firewood on his child. The wood he intends to burn his child with. And his son carries the fire and the wood to the mountain. And on the way there, the boy says, Hey, Pop, we got fire, we got wood, where's the lamb? And Abraham looked at his child in a moment of great prophetic utterance and said, God Himself will provide for Himself a lamb. And I guess in Abraham's reckoning, that lamb was his son Isaac that God had provided to him. 
But just, lest we think God is horrible, just when he was about to kill his son, the angel of the Lord stopped Abraham. Because it was never God's intention that Abraham kill his son, but that we would see in that moment what it looks like for God to offer us his only son. For God to take the life of his only son instead of taking our life. Strangely enough, an offering is provided. Abraham looks up after the angel of the Lord stops him and he looks over and he sees an animal in a thicket. And it's almost as if what he promised Isaac had come true. But the problem is it's not a lamb. It's a ram. And a ram and a lamb are two very different things. A lamb is a baby. A ram is an adult male. And what we have is God providing. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. But what we also have is a story that sets us up to hear John's words when he points at Jesus and say God's only Son offered as a Lamb to take away our sin. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's an entry point into understanding what God was doing in Abraham's life and also how God was pointing to what He was going to do with His own Son, His only Son. Take your Son, your only Son, God said to Abraham. And so Jesus said, For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him might not perish, but have everlasting life. Because the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. And it's sin that brings death. And then I thought of another story. The Exodus story. And I can't help but believe that somehow John is pointing back to that Passover night when Pharaoh had finally had enough of the Hebrew slaves. Moses has come again and, and is told to Moses that Pharaoh will pick the last plague and the last plague is that the firstborn of everything in Egypt will die. But God makes a way for the firstborn of the faithful not to die. He tells Moses, tell the people to take a lamb. Tell the people to take a lamb without blemish, without defect. Tell them to take that lamb, to slaughter that lamb, to take its blood, to put it around the doorposts of their homes, and it will be a sign for them. And when I see it, I will pass over them, and destruction will not visit them. And I can't help but think that John wants us to think of that story too when he says the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Perhaps that's why the writer of Hebrews makes such a big point to us that Jesus was without sin, without blemish, without defect. A Lamb qualified to take away sin. The writer of Hebrews says that the blood of bulls and goats could only cover sin. It couldn't take away sin, but the blood of the Son of God can cleanse even our consciences. And surely if our sins are going to be taken away, it means somehow we need our consciences cleansed of the things we've done wrong. Right, folks? So we've heard that you know, there's a possibility John might be pointing to that, that day when Abraham took Isaac up a mountain. We've heard about the, the Paschal Lamb, the Passover Lamb that God called the Hebrew people to put its blood around the doorposts of their homes so that they would be delivered from slavery. 
Then there's also Isaiah 53. I want to read part of this to you. It's called the, the Suffering Servant Song. You might have heard it called. It's thought to be about God's Messiah. This is what the prophet Isaiah wrote. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. I'm pretty convinced that John the Baptist, when he points at Jesus and says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, when he says, hey, look, there's something significant. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'm convinced he wants us to remember Abraham's knife raised above Isaac and know what it cost God to give up his only son to free us from sin. I know he wants to see us to see that as a continuance of God's story with God's people. I know that he wants us to hear in that the story of the Passover lamb. I know he wants to hear us to hear in that Isaiah's promise of a Messiah who will come and bear in Himself our own iniquities, bear in Himself our own transgressions, bear in Himself the penalty of our own sins, and that our, His stripes would heal us. That His wounds would make us whole. I believe in my heart that John wants us to remember these important stories of how God interacted with God's people so that we can recognize that what God is doing in Jesus is not something new, but exactly what God intended to do all along, which is to come and die in our place and die our death for us. To be God with us all the way to save us even from ourselves. Paul confirms that in 1 Corinthians 5 when he says these words, Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast, your old way of living. He's talking about sinful living. Get rid of the old yeast. Get rid of depending on your own works for salvation. Get rid of thinking you've got to do everything right to have salvation. For he says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. He wants us to know that it's not up to us to take our sins away. That there's a lamb who's been given for that purpose. And John the Baptist says, Jesus is him. A lamb has been given for the purpose of shedding its own blood for us so that his blood can be sprinkled around the doorposts of our hearts so that death will pass us over so that we can move from death to life, John will say later. All of it fulfilling stories and hopes of God's people that somehow God would do something about the condition of sin that brings us to death. 
And that day, on that riverbank, John the Baptist says what God was doing walked down the hill in the flesh. A man named Jesus of Nazareth. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You've likely heard that other verse from the Old Testament talking about a lion laying down with a lamb. That shows up again in Revelation 5 when we're told that Jesus stands in heaven as the Lion of the tribe of Judah, standing in victory. Stands in victory over sin, over death, over the enemies of God, over all that would come against us and break us down. And there's a final seal waiting to be broken so that the goodness of God can pour forth into creation in unknown measure so that everything can be made new and all the horribleness of this world washed and burned away and there will be a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth. And they're waiting for that and waiting and they've come to the last moment and there's one seal left to be broken and there can't anyone be found who's worthy to break it. And John the Revelator writes, I wept and I wept because no one was found worthy to open that scroll or even look inside. Then he says, one of the elders, one of the elders of heaven said to him, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And you know what John looked when he looked to see the lion of the tribe of Judah? He says, I looked and I saw a lamb standing as if it had been slain. A lamb. Our forefathers, Paul and John, John the Revelator, looked and saw Jesus as that lamb. The one who conquered sin and death by laying down his life for us by going before His shearers in silence, by being put to death, having His blood sprinkled out on the earth for our sake, to take away our sin. It's interesting to me that all through the book of Leviticus where God talks about how God has given a way for us to atone for sin by giving blood, the blood of other animals, the lamb is not mentioned as a sacrifice offering in there, the lamb is the daily offering of praise. We have to go to the other stories to hear that and to understand that in the end, it's not just the lamb that was slain, but the Son of God who becomes the lamb. The Passover lamb, the suffering lamb, the lamb who's silent before its shearers, the one who goes in quietness to give himself for us. That one, that one came down to the water to be baptized, and John said, Behold, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I don't know about you, but if there's anything I need, if there would be one core thing that I could say I needed, and it would be in no way a false statement or a statement of modesty or, or in no way a hope, but just a simple, basic reality. The thing I most need is for my sin to be taken away. More than anything else. More than I need comfort. 
more than I need peace. I need that. Because without that, there can't be comfort and peace. And the good news spoken to us today by John the Baptist is that Jesus is the one who can take it away. And even more, he said, he is the one who takes it away. It's an absolute statement. It doesn't have room for wiggles. It's just the way it is, he says. This is the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And the question I want to ask myself is if Jesus wants to take away my sin, why am I holding on to it so hard? Why do I fight God's forgiveness? Why do I argue with God about whether or not I deserve it? Why do I argue with God about whether or not I should have to ask for it? Why do I argue with God about whether or not I'm good enough to be forgiven? Why do I argue with God about my sin? Why can't I just let it go? And accept that He forgives me. In the first epistle of John, in chapter 1, verse 9, John wrote these words. He said, If we confess our sin, God is faithful and just and will forgive our sin. And get this, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Take it away. Jesus doesn't just make it possible for us to die and go to heaven. Jesus makes it possible for us to have life now. To have life that isn't burdened under the guilt and death of sin. That's good news. It's hope. And it's what we most need. How do we get it? Faith. We see it happen for two of those disciples who the second time they heard John say that, they looked at Jesus and began following Him. It truly is that simple. Just trusting. Trusting that Jesus will take away our sin. But it begs the question, why do we fight it so hard, doesn't it? Something for us to think about. As we remember that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Takes it away. Maybe the question we have to ask ourselves if we're willing to let go of it. Maybe our unwillingness to let go is why we find it so hard to believe we're forgiven. But dear ones, know this. Christ has died for you and me. And He has taken our sin away. Trust that with all your heart. We're going to sing a final hymn that's an old favorite for a lot of people. It's just as I am without one plea. Sing it as a prayer. 
Accept it as hope. Offer it as your own word. And dear one, if you need prayer today, if you want to come to this altar and ask Christ to take your sin away, come and pray. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Surrender to Him. Stop fighting. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.